welcome to another exciting edition of Movies and Teas After Hours. I'm your host, Elwood Jones, and joining me, of course, is my wonderful co-host, Miss Kim Lowe. Hello. And tonight is a bit of a change from our usual format, uh, not only because it's an After Hours episode, but this is also our first box set binge, as tonight we're going to be looking at the Netflix-exclusive Love, Death and Robots from David Fincher, a project which originally started off as a remake of Heavy Metal and along the way got reworked into this unique anthology um, tale, uh, tales which is kind of reminiscent in many ways of things such as like Black Mirror and the Animatrix as well as obviously Heavy Metal um, is, itself. The series uh, sees Fincher working with Tim Miller uh, here to craft 18 unique episodes which focus on a variety of sci-fi and horror topics as he takes they look at stories that involve sentient objects robots vampires werewolves and other fun topics um mostly stories coming in with many unique twists which we will try not to ruin too many of if you've not checked out the series already uh but i know personally when i watched it i was just so excited about it and i was saying to yourself kim that like I just sat down and like binge watched this series in like two days. You have to see this this show, and I think since it came out, it's sort of like really through word of mouth, it's really sort of picked up a lot of a lot of sort of press. A lot of people have been checking out, much like Black Mirror. But I mean, were you sort of aware of this coming out, or is it just basically sort of just appeared to yourself on Netflix? I have a lot of stuff on sci-fi and and love and robots and all that stuff, so it was actually. Uh recommended on my list already so it had already popped up when it uh i think i had gotten the notice from netflix when it was about to go on so i was interested in it but um i kind of have like my days where i'm not like all sci-fi and whatnot but i mean after you had mentioned it to me i definitely like boosted it up and after we decided to put it into the after hours obviously that was i had waited until you know before the recording to to watch it just to keep it you know more fresh in my mind i mean as I said, this is a show which takes in many different topics and ideas so being an anthology series every single episode is standalone story and they're all sort of very short stories i think the longest that any episode runs is about 20 minutes but most are around the six to eight minute mark which makes it really a, a series that's really easy to binge and the fact that if you don't like one story then you may find something you like with another and i know that certainly speaking to people prior to this episode everyone's sort of got their favorite episodes and uh we're putting me sort of touching on a few of our own personal favorites but where should we really sort of start with this i mean there's so many different ideas here so i think what we can start with is something a little bit more overall so like the overall idea of it the concept of it how we feel about like even how the episodes are presented like how the anthology kind of paces itself forward those are all elements I think that are really important to talk about, especially like because I think probably like 17 out of 18 of these was all animated. So there's also kind of like a lot of style, a lot of different styles and a lot of different animation techniques that were used into these. um, And then there's a different, you know, type of, you know, some of them humor, there's a different genre to each of them also that we can also touch on. Same when you look at the animation studios here, I mean, this it's not all one animation studio, which certainly g- 
can makes I think the process a whole lot more interesting because it's very each studio seems to approach the project with their own unique style and their own vision. And I thought that was so key to what made it work because you weren't just watching, you know, a very sort of set format show. It was you never really knew what you were getting into with each episode. It was sort of like you would have a little little bit of a synopsis uh, on the on Netflix, uh, but. As I said, you wouldn't have any sort of idea until the until it started what sort of story you were going to be getting. I I really kind of liked that, and I also love the fact that because the stories are so so different, it's not just one sort of thing. It's not just you know ultra violent cyberpunk or just horror stories. There's some real sort of thoughtful stories sort of mixed in there as well. Um, I mean, how did you find like the mix of stories, especially? I think it was good. I mean, for one, like you kind of like. Um the way it started was a bit more, you know, comedic. But then, you know, the difference shifts so fast, right? You have kind of like a more relaxing one. And then you have some really quirky ones. Um, and then some that kind of like is just kind of like one piece by itself, which is just yeah. like just like a slice of a story. But you never really like it starts in the middle of something and then it ends. And then it feels like it's incomplete in some ways as well. But there's like there I think like different genres they use and even like the different levels of say um, violence and you know uh, I guess you can call I guess some of them are kind of gory um, some of them are kind of creepy uh, there there's so much depth to each of these and it gives it so much more like it stands out so much more because that's the power of anthologies right is that there's always something that you're gonna like um, there's always some sort of style and you know, if an anthology is really good, chances are you're only going to be like, I like this one a little less, but I still kind of like it and appreciate what it is. And I think that's where Love, Death, and Robots really stands out is that no matter what, like, no matter how weird it is, somehow it still works. And I yeah. mean, especially like when, when you have like a story where like yogurt is your ruler or something, right? <laughs> That's, you know, that's completely out of the world. And then they pair it up with some animation style that's a little bit more, you know, um, I guess a little bit more juvenile. It's very, like, childish. It's kind of like a comic strip in a certain way. And I like I like the idea of doing it like that. And every single time you have this sort of, this sort of like, uh, story, they always give you this different animation style. And you have, like, say, some of them are more graphic novel style. Some of them are more, you know, hand-drawn. Some of them are more, like, um, you know, older, kind of, like, classic even uh, animation styles. And it, it just works really well with what they're trying to portray in that story most of the time. And it kind of also gives you, sometimes you have some that mix it up and it's it's kind of like one of the more classic styles, but they still give it a bit more of like that um, gory, like bloody sort of um, story to it, and it, it it's nice to see those little mix ups. Yeah, I mean, I was I was actually very surprised the show has taken off in the way it has. I mean, certainly, I think the fact that Black Mirror is obviously being pushed uh, by Netflix and a lot of people really sort of jumped on board with that and the fact that a lot of these stories have the same sort of like twist endings mm. as and you can see the sort of similarities in style between the two two properties that I think that's helped bridge the gap and I mean the other thing which made me really sort of question it I mean obviously I from my own sort of personal taste I watch a lot of adult animation a lot of anime so to see things such as like like violence and sex and bad language from animated characters it 
it doesn't really sort of face me as much but for i would say it's like you know joe moviegoer um who's obviously not used to if, when they think of like animation they're used to sort of like you know disney or at worst they're sort of if they think of something bad with bad uh sort of language and stuff they think of like south park and stuff or family guy and this is like pushing it to the extreme and sort of like using animation for the complete freedom that it provides because obviously if you're doing a live action production you've got a lot of sort of restrictions in terms of like cost and scope and scale and things whereas with animation it's sort of you can just go completely crazy as you want and certainly this is what in many cases they do they really sort of push it out there and they i, I would say there's a lot of some of the stories i was like oh my god i um especially when we look at um like stories like Good Hunting, which has got uh, several sort of very several sort of like rapey sort of elements in there. Uh, when we t we talk about how certain characters are being used within this this sort of like steampunk version uh, vision of of like feudal sort of China, um, it made me think, oh my god, this is going to be like really diverse and it's going to put a lot of people off. But I've had just like people I never expected just like said how much they've just really sort of get into the show and I, no one's real really questioned the fact that like oh we're seeing characters naked and having sex but the animated characters and it for some reason it's it never filmed me with sort of like that uh creepy oh I shouldn't really be watching this that you sort of like got with like a lot of like the early 90s and late 80s anime mm -hmm. which uh were so prominently featuring like sex and violence and uh, unsurprisingly you know like staring up the uh middle class papers like the daily mail who were like putting out claims to ban this sick filth <laughs> so it was like a real throwback in many ways to to those sorts of properties and and so for some reason like all, everyone i've sort of spoken to has not been like faced at all which is really surprising and it really makes me hope i really hope now obviously that this property obviously got great so warmly that they do obviously do a second season because i think now I've had this sort of taste. It's like I, I just want to see more. I want to see what else, whatever stories you can tell within this world. So, yeah, and I think that you make a really. I think when you bring up um, good hunting, that's also one of the elements that makes Love, Death, and Robots really good. Because when you first look at, say, Love, Death, and Robots, obviously the name, you kind of automatically will, um, even the the way it's portrayed, you you kind of have an idea. It's more of like um, a science fiction sort of um, heavy sort of uh, sort of anthology. And while that is true, a lot of them is, you know, uh, ro revolving around like, you know, kind of like futuristic or space or robots in general, they also have a lot of other elements. You know, you have some, you know, more um, fantastical creatures and uh, supernatural creatures. And at the same time, you also have, you know, and I, I like the fact of how they were able to bring in a lot of different elements um, in culture. For example, like when you brought up good hunting, that was uh, focused around an Asian belief. And, you know, when you talk about the fox spirit, there's it's one of probably the most the most recognized uh, Asian spirit that appears in TV series and appears. And, you know, you talk about it and um, they are considered to be kind of like, you know, sly and whatnot. And in this in the, in the story, they kind of give it like a different angle while obviously you know the ending has its own twist to it right uh but there's you know i like the fact of the like you know you have this kind of like we have this one and then we also have kind of like the more modern um hong kong setting uh with say the witness and then we have kind of like 
we also head to, you know, places like you, you have like the the Russian war in another story. And then that sort of different um, setting really gives it a little bit more strength also. Yeah, definitely. I feel that. I mean, obviously, well, with the name, the name, as you said already, I mean, it gives this idea that it's just going to be sort of like, you know, sci-fi uh, shows, but it never feels like restricted by its sort of it by the premise at all. And it's quite happy to go in any number of directions. If they think there's an interesting story to tell, um, then the more they're willing to tell. And it, it very much, you can see the heavy metal influence which runs through it. And if you're obviously not familiar with heavy metal, it was an adult publication this is actually still running uh that originally started in france and was brought over to the uk and american translated and um kevin eastman who worked on who created uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles he left uh that property to go and work on heavy metal and it's now sort of like the lead editor over there and they're basically as i said they're sort of like fantasy and sci-fi stories and they're just as i said they're sort of renowned for featuring like these big boobs like ultra vixens like uh like the old sort of like conan paper cut sort of design characters and the fact that they focus on, as i said on like sci-fi and fantasy and they just have a very sort of adult orientation to them and it gets this idea of taking a format which some people may dismiss as being like you know a, a format for like kids and instead going no that you know you can do adult stories within like the realm of comic books and graphic novels and you can do it the same with animation and i just love the fact that they've that while fincher was obviously struggling um and obviously tim miller who did deadpool has been like spent years trying to get their remake of heavy metal off the ground and they sort of like they're approached by netflix um certainly fincher's doing got his, his production deal with netflix at the moment because he did uh was it mind hunters i believe the mind hunters yeah um, and this is part of that same same deal. So he sort of like brought it in. It's like you know what? we'll just rework that heavy metal property and create this, um, create this love death robots. And I hold the more credit to them because I think it, I'm just so glad that they did because it's not only a, a unique property for Netflix, but it as I said, it it finally gives me a companion piece to the Animatrix, which was a collection of um, short animated stories to tie in with. The release of the matrix reloaded and uh matrix revolutions where it basically expanded upon ideas and told like the history of the matrix universe and here it when you put it side by side with this and certainly put in the original like uh animated version of heavy metal it's just forms this wonderful collection of of uh stories and ideas that you can just sort of like group together and i just love the fact that with lord death and robots we finally got this sort of continuation this expansion of uh of um of, of themes and ideas once again being explored so but i think you know i think this brings up another point that I, it's a bit you know aside from love death and robots but i think mm. that this what this is kind of like the power of netflix and i guess any other streaming service you can think of at this current moment who's developing their own stuff is it gives this platform for you know even like renowned um, movie product producers and directors to kind of have a platform to go into, you know, less uh, kind of like riskier projects, more original properties to kind of, you know, where their imagination goes, maybe that might not get greenlit with bigger studios because it might be a bit too ambitious or, you know, it, it also gives like, say for Love, Death and Robots, it's, it also gives a platform for short stories to, you know, short movie shorts to have a have a platform to show themselves because i mean 
who would, like, where else would you be able to show off a bunch of shorts? And, and you know, God forbid, if you go to enough film festivals, you know how many shorts are released in a year. Yeah. And most people don't really want to, you know, share all of it on YouTube for free. And no one's going to be willing to pay for it. And no one really knows shorts as well as unless you're you're kind of like us where you're you're doing, you know, you, you review movies or you're in the circuit pretty much. So I think that it's a really great thing that, say, Netflix opens up this avenue um, to take on these projects. And, you know, kind of like, you know, a package deal with something that's already successful, like Mindhunters or something. And, and you know, gives a chance to these new projects because, you know, as ambitious as they are... It's, it's also very unique, and it shows that, you know, these directors still have, you know, a lot of very creative ideas in their mind that they're willing to, you know, take a chance on. Oh, definitely, and I think this is the great thing about the streaming model. Not only does it build in a captive audience from the start, and I think audiences for, like, the streaming platforms are more willing to take chances than if it was put on, like, a regular sort of um, channel, so, you know, something like H- uh, HBO or Fox or wherever. And I think this was certainly seen with when you look at Glow. I mean, Glow, as I said, it's a show about women's wrestling. And I don't think Glow would have been successful if we put it on normal, the normal sort of TV services. Because, but because, as I said, people were paid their Netflix subscription. So giving them new content, they're more willing to take risks because, as I said, it's something new to watch. And you've already got, got their attention because they're paying for this service. So they're more than happy to just check out new stuff that's coming through. Whereas if it's, as I say, on the TV service, you know, you're competing with like you know some 900 other channels uh for for your attention whereas with like the streaming service you've already got a captive audience there and i think certainly we've seen they've really sort of taken this and run with it and they've taken a lot more rest in like not only the sort of content that they put out but how they put out the content as well we saw we obviously with like the marvel properties like deadpool uh sorry not deadpool with like uh jessica jones and i'm fist and that sort of like um little saga of marvel projects that were like so much darker than obviously what's happening currently in the marvel cinematic universe and certainly when you compare it to like the abc uh properties like uh agents of shield it, it was just completely different and i think this is the great thing about the streaming services the fact they're not bound by so many rules as the the traditional sort of platforms and when you have something like love death and robots come along it just makes it all the happy that we have these platforms so that people are actually out there and experimenting and trying new things which let's face it is what we what keeps things interesting i mean who would have thought that game of thrones would be like the biggest show ever i mean when that came out it was like oh it's a fantasy show and i mean nobody really cared about fantasy lord of the rings had been and gone and it obviously goes on to become like the biggest show uh, of old time really so <laughs> which finally ended <laughs> i know i mean it, yes it didn't end the way that people perhaps didn't want and i know everyone's complained about the last season but you know we're not we're not here to talk about game of thrones we're here to talk about love death and robots and how awesome that is so yeah so um i don't i don't know is there anything else you want to talk about that's spoiler free or should we go into spoiler territory i think uh, but yeah i think we're going i mean we're obviously going to try and avoid yeah like semi-spoilers let's say we're going more in depth into say the episodes themselves and a little bit more in detail they're 18 episodes and i think the easiest way to to do it we've we're going to sort of group together certain episodes because they show a, a theme or an idea and there's other episodes which are more sort of standalone so i mean if we start obviously with like the groups of episode and we'll come back to the off the sort of experimental ones uh in a minute but um i mean certainly on the side of robots 
I think is a good place to start. And here we've obviously got episodes like Good Hunting, Suits, and Blind Spot. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't. I mean, obviously these are ones which obviously they involve. They take a lot of the elements in Mecca. Certainly, when we look at things such as like um, Suits, which is set on uh, this idea of you got farmers on the moon who <laughs> strap themselves into giant mecha suits to battle giant bugs. It's kind of like Starship Troopers. And I don't know about yourself, Kim, but I really like giant mecha. So anytime I see people like strapping themselves into the giant like battle suits, it's like, oh, this is so good. Yeah, then, uh, and then on top of that, you know, you have um, the, the starting guy. I forgot his name. And and he when he straps himself into the suit, it looks a lot like um, the suit that's in uh, Aliens. Oh, the power loader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... And it's so well... Certainly with the with suits, it's like... You think he's, you know, he's just the farmer. It's sort of like, oh, there's trouble out in the fields. Better go and check it out. And you think he's going to get into his combine or his tractor. It's like, no, he's going to get into his battle suit. And <laughs> all the other farmers have got their own suits. And they're all... At the same time, they've all customized their suits in their own, like, unique ways. And they're these big, clunky sort of suits. They're designed work purpose they're not like designed to look pretty yeah and as i said it it's it obviously descends into unsurprisingly chaos mm-hmm. um but i really i mean i've that, as i said it's the first of my first of example really of just like where you're introduced to what you think you get you, th- you think you're getting one thing and then it's all like it's no we're gonna give this a twist and it's like yeah it's, they're not farmers they're farmers on the moon and they're gonna have suits and they're gonna have like the battle bugs it's all at times it, it, it's sort of like a perfect example of what the show's about it's like at times you can feel like you're inside the mind of a hyperactive um teenager yeah someone it, who crossed like um a mecca a mecca <laughs> story with an alien story um in an intergalactic world <laughs> maybe you know that that uh story the dome or something like that or something yeah. like that yeah so I, it's, it's uh, kind of like it's, yeah, it's, it's a big mishmash of things, but it's it's really fun and it, and I think that you know as the story goes, there 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 are a lot of fun elements, and then there are like they have some really like rowdy characters, and they do feel a lot like you know um, the I guess the the typical or the stereotypical farmers <laughs> that we kind of um, feel is there, especially you know when we start and we talk about like that scarecrow that's sitting around and. At some point, you know, it comes back into play. And um, there's just a lot of, like, you know, little details that, that, that they they put into the story that really works for this one. And plus, it's, you know, it's it's just so colorful and stuff, right? Um, but, I mean, in the road, like, this is good because it's, you know, they use those mecha little robot suits and stuff like that. And it's, it's very nice. And then, you know... It kind of matches well with, say, you were talking about, you know, you were pairing this up with um, Blind Spot and mm. uh, that one as well. That one is just, you know, if we talk about, you know, kind of like in the sequence of things, I would say Blind Spot is more like, you know, pure just robots because everyone in there is just kind of is just robots, right? They're acting out. And then That's, suits yeah, is kind of like humans in robot suits. And then good hunting is kind of like a transformation process. 
Oh, definitely. I think we because that's the thing when we get look at blind spot. Blind spot is just essentially fat. It's like what would Fast and Furious be like if we had cyborgs instead of Vin <laughs> Diesel and Paul Walker? Because it's the whole concept is that you've got this um, cyborg crew who are attempting to steal a microchip from a, a heavily guarded convoy, and again, this just descends into hyperactive chaos as they battle their way through it, and you've got like. As I said, these cyborgs are driving like souped up Mad Max style vehicles and mm-hmm. they're battling their way through this truck. But this truck constantly, like, it constantly has all these like defense systems in place. So, in many ways, it reminded me of Sucker Punch. Yeah. Um, especially the final sort of leap when they go into the futuristic world and they're like battling their way for the train. This felt very much the same. But here, it's all like goes, oh, when we do that circle bump inch, but how can we improve upon this? It's like, oh, I know, we'll have a, like a big cannon and we'll have a big robot and we'll have like characters like randomly be like wiped out. And it's so bizarre because I mean, it's eight minutes long and it's moving like a rocket on rails, this this plot. Yet you feel generally, you feel like genuine attachment to this team this team of like cyber bandits so that when one of them like gets wiped out you should feel those real pang of lost it's like oh my god i've lost uh I've lost this guy and it's like <laughs> i really wanted him to make it to the end and you're kind of rooting for it the more the odds stack up against them in the same way with suits the fact that the more the odds stack up against them the more you sort of like pushing for them to succeed so that like when we the dust finally settles on their situations you've like breathe this like sigh of relief it's like oh they've they did it you know they they lived to these like last remaining people get to live to see another day and i thought it was just like um it was just such an adrenaline rush and it was it was just so, so clear that how much fun they're just having with the concept and then when you compare it to good hunting which is a lot more serious in tone and it's as i said it's this idea of transforming it's got elements of steampunk in there it's got the cyborg elements in there mm. and as you said already kim it's got those very sort of traditional um i ideas of like would you say it's like chinese mythology or yeah what? it's chinese mythology um and it sort of blends it all together uh into this sort of like wonderful sort of melting pot of ideas of well i thought i, I mean as i said when it was when it was started i mean i thought it was like you know just a little a feudal sort of tale of like a uh, father and son who were hunt who were hunting spirits, and I thought that was where it was. And then obviously it keeps going on, and you know the world around them involves, and you find that this uh, this character you you join as a child, and you see him grow up, and he like learns about like mechanics and automation, and just like basically he's there creating like animals and all these creations out of um of mechanics and clockwork and it's just so such a fascinating and and well thought out tale but at the same time there's some real dark elements sort of worked into it um certainly when you look at how the upper class are treating the cyborg uh cyborgs and robot creations and how in this world that these creations are sort of like designed and created so for like as, as they take on like these like almost like geisha style um status where they're sort of like bidded upon and sort of purchased for um by the by these higher ups as sort of like very sort of like st- signs of status and and power that you you're able to um sort of purchase these these creations so but um no that one that one suddenly took some dark turns but at the same time i felt it was very tasteful throughout so 
That one definitely had, I think, um, story-wise, it had a lot more depth, like, just story depth, as in, like, character depth as well. And I think that one was probably a little bit longer than than the average amount of time yeah. that we had. So it, it actually had a little bit more, um, you know, it had some historical value to it, obviously some steampunk and um, alternate reality as an alternate future sort of style yeah, to it. Um... Especially because, you know, well, I guess it's not alternate future because it's kind of like an alternate present because <laughs> it's it's like we never evolved into a steampunk you know reality but you know they they ste- they evolved into kind of like a steampunk i guess like a 19 some 19 i don't know 40s 50s whatever um shanghai or wherever it was yeah um so it was it was interesting because it had all the elements of say a Chinese a typical Chinese story that would evolve where you know you're in a small town and then you eventually want to leave to a bigger city because that's where you know life is and at the same time it also takes that mythology and kind of like doesn't leave it in that ancient world but lets it keep going because that mythology in 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 normal times is just you know the fox spirit is just set in like the ancient times all the time where it's just like oh back then there were these people and fox spirits would always be referred to like as um, because they're sly and then they use their um, beauty to lure men and then um, and then hunt them they kind of like they kind of use them always as like um, ladies in in brothels so. <laughs> So it was kind of like, you know, they, they had a little play on that, um, the belief of and the stories in the, of the past, but put it more into like a steampunk reality, like steampunk situation. And I think that's that's a really nice twist to it, especially because, you know, I've been exposed to this Chinese mythology a lot. So I have like I understand it a lot. So it felt like, you know, it's very creative to do it this way. Yeah, definitely. I love the idea of magic being replaced by technology. Yeah, the fact that um, we got this uh, Hui Jing um, named uh, I think it's Taoshio Jing or uh, Taoshio Jung, sorry, and the fact that because the the magic is leaving the world and being replaced by technology, she becomes human in form, um, ultimately finding a way to revert back to her fox spirit form, perhaps in a in a way that uh, sort of like matches up now with this very technology driven world and I thought that was such a an interesting journey her character took and sent, as especially it's the, you can understand her have a, the sort of like focus uh, she now has when the story ends and she's like able to return to her, her original form um, and, but- and what she now sits out to do I think that was such a the journey as a whole yeah. just really sort of made made a lot of sense to her. Yeah, and and it was really nice because the story itself originally starts with a fox with nine tails, and in the beginning we see her. She's she only has one tail, and then when we see the you know technical technological development on her, she ends up having nine tails at the end. And I thought that was really nice because they kind of like flipped it up for from like the ancient mythology till the present one. And, um, yeah, so, you know, little details. Um, it's very, it, I really like this one. So moving on. <laughs> yeah. What's the um, next category we're going to look at? The next category we're going to look at is is um, the horror 
category and uh, there's only two stories that really sort of fall into sort of very traditional sort of horror category and that's Sucker of Souls which is vampires and shapeshifters which is werewolves and I mean vampires for myself don't really do a lot for myself so despite the fact that I mean these are very feral vampires that we see in Sucker of Souls it, I felt it was like the weakest entry in this collection of stories shapeshifters on the other hand um, it's a really fun tale as I said, it's werewolves being used in Afghanistan because they've got obviously heightened abilities and they've kind of got improved sight and they've got improved uh, reflexes. So they're being used by the US military. And at the same time, these two werewolves that have been sort of recruited, they're sort of scorned by their fellow soldiers who think they're freaks and they discover that they might perhaps not be the only werewolves in, in the country. Um, leading to the inevitable showdown of the the werewolves that this ultimately builds to. But um, Shapeshifters, I thought, was a really, really, really fun tale. Um, as I said, it's, it's always fun to see a, a werewolf tale, and certainly with the freedom that this property provides, it really sort of takes it to some fun extremes, and the animation in this episode in particular was just absolutely stunning. Um, whereas Sucker of Souls is sort of like... There's some, there's some fun jokes in there i mean there's uh you obviously got this team of mercenaries that investigate this tomb and it's sort of like you've got this scientist trying to explain to this mercenary leader it's like how important this scientific discovery they found is and he's sort of like you know we're mercenaries you've got to pay extra for us to care which is yeah. a fun line <laughs> um <laughs> it's like um that was what mer- mercenaries are like uh are like hookers pretending to be excited costs extra yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, no, there. You know, Sucker of Souls was, I think, in content, um, in the concept of the Dracula, it felt a little ridiculous. Like it, it felt like it landed a lot weaker, like you said. But in terms of, like, say, the comedy, it was like there was a lot of one-liners, and you kind of had that whole um, expendable mercenaries sort of um, yeah one-liner fun stuff. You know, like that sort of fun was in there, and I think. That I enjoyed that part more than um, the actual Dracula bit. Um, whereas, like, you know, Shapeshifters was, you know, it had a lot of, you know, I actually, when it started, and it was Shapeshifters, and I was like, oh, the first time it, you know, became apparent that it was werewolves, I automatically was like, dog soldiers? <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> I could see where you're going with that, but... But I've never seen Dog Soldiers, so that was just like the title kind of hit me on that. <laughs> um, and it did help that I do know Dog Soldiers is about werewolves. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, it, the Shapeshifters in terms of, you know, like the horror element, um, I don't think both of these were particularly scary. Um, they were more, one was more comedic, and then the Shapeshifters was kind of a bit more action drama, I guess you would call it. I didn't really see, like, yeah, there was a bit of horror in the sense, you know, of how, like, the gore and the death and then the, I guess the transformation was pretty cool, too. And, um, like, Shapeshifters, like you said, the animation itself was what really, you know, won out on this one. It was, it it was like, you know, I don't know, in certain ways, you know, you all, we can talk about, you know, Hemlock Grove had that werewolf transformation, which was pretty disgusting and then you have you know shapeshifters here who does the werewolf transformation in like an animation style and somehow this one is actually pretty impressive uh for you know just watching it as an animated thing 
I really, I mean, I really love the shapeshifters because of the freedom of the animation provides. You can really take to sort of extreme. So the fact that you've got these powerful creatures just battling each other, and you're not sort of restricted by you know a CGI, which would look awful, or like a man in a suit, which obviously may look great. Obviously, when we look at things such as like you know the Wolfman and Night American Werewolf in London, which you've got really great werewolf effects and certain transformation sequences, yeah. and then with this, I mean, you've got complete freedom, so you can create. Uh, these sort of like these really sort of extreme situations and it, it I mean it brought me back to playing a lot of uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse in, in college um, so again to, to see those RPG sort of fantasies like played out and it's sort of like it, it's also like it's like well if you had a world where Werewolf exists why wouldn't they be employed by the military I mean you've essentially got a perfect killing machine you've got a soldier that doesn't get tired um has can do all these amazing sort of feats and has got heightened ability and at the same time it touches on you know how would the regular soldier feel um and it in many ways that sort of like taps into the same thing as properties like the x-men where you've got the fear of the unknown the obviously with x-men you've got mutants and they're sort of feared and reviled because they look human but they've got these incredible powers and it's like how would you sort of like control this i mean what's to stop these people going rogue and it's very much the same thing when we look at shapeshifters where it's like what's to stop these soldiers going rogue what is it that keeps them loyal to your side um and the act the action scenes especially in the sort of the build up to the climax here are just really spectacular to see and i just just really enjoyed the the way it built up and yeah it's it's certainly one of the more violent tales that we have here but at the same time it felt very sort of true to the story i mean some may find it a little excessive but i i got a kick out of it so oh yeah definitely the ending part was you know like when we had that big fight in the end it was it was really it was really something to see especially like there was like that whole transformation sequence and then um and then you have this part where you know he gets attacked in mid transformation and and it was just very impressive i think like it, it was really really nice to see um especially because i feel like werewolves are underused oh definitely underused in everything they're underused in video games they're underused in movies um they're even underused in like books and stories right so it's nice when you get to see that and it becomes kind of like really refreshing to see yeah, so we're moving on to the next pairing you you did, uh, that we were going to choose, and that's kind of like, I guess you'd call it. What would you? What would be the next two? You well, uh, we're calling this sentient objects. <laughs> um, so if this is very much Larry Cohen territory, where you take everyday objects and turn them into, I would normally if it was Larry Cohen, you turn them into objects of terror, such as like yogurt being turned into a, a killer device in the stuff, or babies and um, it's alive. Um, here we obviously got when uh, two tales. We got when the yogurt took over, which is about a sentient yogurt that becomes a world domineering power uh, that uh, is given the state of um, Ohio and essentially offers humanity a chance of prosperity and this creating a utopian society. And at the same time, the human government is sort of like not sure whether it can trust the yogurt or what you know what plans the yogurt has for humanity i mean can you trust yogurt um this one certainly in particular has the advantage of having the wonderful uh morris lamarche 
as the narrator, who you're probably best known as Pinky in the Brain. He played, uh, he played the brain, and uh, he did work on like Ghostbusters. He did the voice of Egon Spencer, really wonderful voice actor. And here, just having him narrate the story, and as I said, this is a story with like no real, very little dialogue. It's just played out in narration, and just watching this this tale of like yogurt rising to power, um, and I mean the opening jokes alone are worth watching it for. Whereas when they, I think it opens the line, oh, when the yogurt took over, we all enjoyed the jokes. It was like finally a government with culture. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, when the yogurt took over, it's as I said, it's a fun, it's a fun tale. The other one we have is, uh, is the dump, which is about a old man who lives on a garbage site and the government uh local developments are trying to move him on and they've sent out uh sent out one of their suits to basically you know convince him to give up his dump and move on but you know he's he's got other ideas and certainly what's living in the dump has uh, his own ideas as well i mean spoiler alert the twist here it's that the old man is looking after a living garbage pile which he keeps as his pet and that's told, as I said, it's told as a kind of, it's told him through flashback as um, he discovers this this entity living in his garbage pile and and, suddenly, and while initially engaging in this epic battle with it, realises that, you know, it's not something to be feared, it's, it's just something that uh, wants to exist and he manages to create a symbiotic existence with this creature that uh, now helps keep him living in his garbage pile which he's very happy living this sort of like bizarre hobo existence uh living amongst the trash so <laughs> yeah yeah as he says hang around a dump long enough and the world comes to you right so <laughs> exactly <laughs> i don't really have a lot to say about the dump i thought it was like a fun entertaining bit it was like you know both of these stories t- kind of take that idea that you know not only is it like you know sentient objects like sentient yogurt and sentient garbage i guess uh, but at the same time you have kind of like both of them are telling a story of how things came to be and then you know it ends <laughs> kind of it in does whichever way it does yeah so it's it's like kind of like a slice of life about what happens <laughs> if in kind of like you know in the yogurt situation would be an alternate reality i guess and then in the dump situation, be like, you know, maybe don't, <laughs> I don't know what it's trying to say. <laughs> just leave some things be. <laughs> yeah, just leave some things be. Like, let your, you know, leave your junkyards the way they are. <laughs> Someone's enjoying it, so it's okay. Yeah, I mean, when the yoga took over, I think is sort of a more complete story yeah and i love the fact that as i said just the way it builds it's like this yogurt it as i said it um originally is the world powers are sort of like dubious of it and the fact that it makes um like demands it's like it's like what do you what do you want yogurt and it's like i want ohio and the government's like oh we're, we're not sure we're going to give you ohio and it's like well china will happily you know do it get, um help support us so they give them ohio and obviously ohio like rises to you europe you like this utopia while the rest of the world sort of collapses because they choose not to follow the yogurt's instructions um and i just it was as i say it was just uh, how the story is told and certainly with the narration the narration really makes the story what it is um just the sort of dry humor that runs throughout <laughs> the story and just 
these these really crazy moments where you got a flash cut of like this really sort of um perfect society and then we've cut back to the real world and there's like someone cooking a baby which i thought was really dark but kind of funny at the same time <laughs> um, uh, the yogurt one was uh, was just both i honestly both of these were kind of like quirky and weird but it kind of worked because we had gone through like i think where they slotted into the anthology is really good because it kind of like breaks up between um some categories that we've been going through yeah so it it really does kind of add changes the pacing a little before it kind of like shifts back into into another type of story oh yeah definitely and in many ways it reminded me to refer back to the animatrix um there's a two-part story called the second renaissance which talks uh which explores how the matrix came to be um how humanity created robots to be servants and to do work so they had more fun time to you know fun and play and we basically turned on the robots because of this fear and paranoia and with the the short the day the yogurt the yogurt took over it's very much the same where we have this thing that we've created and we start to doubt and grow concerned about it only for us to realize that our creation has outsmarted us and in much the same way that the robots take off in the second renaissance and we ultimately get jammed into the matrix to become human powers and power sources uh in the obviously with the when the yogurt took over the the yogurt evolves past us and we're sort of like left we're left in this sort of situation where you know should we have listened to the yogurt should where was it sort of like inevitable that we would end up in the situation that we do by not following the yogurt it's I mean, it's. I mean, we're here talking about bloody sentient yogurt here. I mean, <laughs> it, it's one of those things you don't think you're going to be doing <laughs> when you set out to talk about these things. So, yeah, yeah, that that's that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I like a lot of these stories. It leaves it very open ended as to what the ultimate fate of these characters is. Um, but. I, I, I think, mean, I would happy. You know what? Ended. What it is is if you if you look at even like we've we've only we've only really brushed the tip of the iceberg at the current point. I mean, we're we're what uh, seven stories in, yeah. and you know at this point, I think it's become quite obvious that a lot of this has a lot of um, dark humor to it. <laughs> There's a, always like kind of like a dark twist to it, I guess, in a yeah. certain way. And 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 it and it works. Um, so moving on, what's our next category? Um, our next one is very similar to, uh, to our sentient objects and also our robots because it is basically sentient robots. And this is three stories where robots have they're sort of evolving to gain more of a, a human-like existence and certainly in many ways trying to make sense of the world around them and the three stories which sort of tie into this we have Zima Blue about a reporter tracking down a mysterious artist uh, we've got three robots where a trio of robots go sightseeing in a post-apocalyptic earth um, exploring the remnants of human society and then we have Lucky 13 which is about a supposedly cursed dropship um and the connection the bond it has with its with its rookie pilot as um as the two are followed over a course of um of missions and uh just obviously watching the the evolution between these these two between pilot and machine so yeah i mean free robots 
to start meaning has been whenever I talked about uh, with people about the show, free robots is always seems to be the one that they want to talk about first. Um, I don't know about yourself, Kim, but I thought it was like a real sort of highlight of the series. Three robots is I think it's I think what it is is that it's not my favorite, but it ranks pretty high because it's kind of like that starting point, right? It kind of like sets uh, a certain tone for the anthology series itself and i think it's kind of interesting that in this category we have the starting episode and the ending episode in the same category so yeah but three robots is really nice i think i mean anytime you bring cats into the equation you got me (laughs) there's a there is a weird overrunning theme of cats that run throughout this i mean certainly when we look at uh sakura souls we've got the vampires being afraid of cats there obviously cats are a very prominent part in free robots as well and as i said there's other stories which the cats make appearances so i don't know what where the obsession with the cats came into it for the the rights of these stories but certainly the i would say the cats have a a large part of the ending of this one i'm not going to go into what it is but i love the fact that you here with free robots you have this trio of robots and they're also like different robots that have been designed with different purposes um and yet they're going for this this city and they've got these fragments of of the society that they were there and they're trying to piece together all these different bits and pieces that they find like they go into a diner and they see like like uh, these like skeleton bodies of like the remains and they're, they're constantly trying to piece it all together from these fragments of information that have been sort of left over from from the apocalypse really and um the fact that the cat element in particular because for some reason cats have survived the post-apocalypse <laughs> well don't know how um and probably we could explain it by by ruling the episode but we won't but the fact that they believe that the game exploding kittens um ties into <laughs> actual cats and that if you if you stop stroking cats that they will explode <laughs> i love that part so much because i think it's so it's so clever that they brought in so much of like the modern world things and 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 then it's just i just think it's so smart well especially that part i thought it was like incredible because it's kind of like cats are manipulative right <laughs> so so you kind of like obviously we're not going to try and, and uh, ruin the ending because there's a twist there but i mean just the fact that they believe that and then you know at a certain point you know you, you kind of realize that cats maybe made it out because of this trait <laughs> oh definitely um and when we move on to zima blue i mean zima blue in many ways it ties in very much to um good hunting in its in its uh sort of end game and here we obviously got this reclusive artist called zima blue who has over the course of his career like created these like huge um murals where he's sort of focused on this single shade of blue and he he's con- in, in this fantastical world he's managed to keep making these larger murals into the, like incorporated into like celestial bodies and they become like these universe spanning projects and it's through this reporter claire um she meets with the artist and it starts revealing his 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 backstory as it builds up to reveal his like final work and whereas we're good hunting is sort of like a character evolving into the world here we've got a a story of a character de-evolving into what into what they felt was their happiest state 
and i mean i've i told my yourself but i was i was so touched by this story i was i was almost a little moved it was it was good um i i honestly was a i thought it was so clever and so so interesting to see how like you know the devolving part right yeah and and just like the story itself kind of was um hinting towards what they were he was you know talking about the entire time and um i think it it kind of like has this whole background you know um concept behind you know how we all kind of fall back to our original form at a certain time you know you always become where you always go back to where you started is pretty much it's pretty much kind of like the story here yeah and I mean, Demon Blue in particular, it really surprised me, especially when I spoke speaking to people about it. And I expected that the reaction to this one would be like the reaction of the audience that are gathered for the unveiling of this final masterwork uh, by this artist. And when they finally realised what it is, I w- that's the reaction I expected from people. But people have been really, really surprised me. And the fact that, you know, they've they got it. And I think this is a real sort of credit to the show. It's a, it never tries to dumb things down. It knows that its audience, if it presents things in a logical and intelligent way, that the audiences, that they will sort of step up and, and you know, they'll be able to understand the vision you're putting across. And I was really surprised with Zima Blue because this was a, a story I could see, like, people were, like, going, oh, that doesn't make sense. That's kind of stupid. But people really sort of got what it was trying to trying to be with this. And I, and I was so happy with it because the end the end goal of this this thing i was just kind of moved and just how it i said the whole evolution of the story this idea of what this character has gone through over the course of their life and the changes that they've they've gone before they build to this this eventual de-evolution of themselves um was just such a really fulfilling fulfilling story um and just perfectly paced over the 10 minutes that it unfolds yeah i agree with that yeah but I mean, you know, when we talk about, you know, sentient robots and we look at like um, kind of like a more uh, subtle version of it, we have, you know, the third story we're looking at here and that's Lucky 13. And I think that between these three stories, I think Lucky 13 is the one that I might have liked a little bit more. Mostly because, uh, I mean, for one, it, it does have a more recognized face i guess Hmm. if you're if you watch orange is the new black oh yeah Um, you've got samira wiley yeah uh, exactly yeah and then um at the same time there's kind of like this bond right and the concept that maybe the things that we believe are cursed um are not really what it seems in the surface yeah definitely and the the bond, as I said, the, said already, this bond between Pilot and her ship is just so so perfect. And we see we see her like as I said, she she talks to her, her ship throughout. And when we obviously get to the end here, you feel like you you're losing an actual character. Um, yeah. When we when we get to the end, not to try and spoil too much about this, but the ending, I felt like I felt um, as emotional as when you get to the end of Daz Boot and the ships the um the U boat sinks. The fact that you've mm. you've been on this this epic journey with this um uh, this this ship and 
as I said, and obviously when does boot, we've got the U-boat, and then we see what the crew go through to battle their way, battle their way through. And then with like a fair scene, it's again, it's a, this idea of this uh, ship, and it battles like these incredible odds. It goes on these like suicide runs, and it's constantly surviving the odds when it's supposed to be this cursed ship. Um, mm. And while there's obviously these elements that you know, there's this artificial intelligence. As we see, like the ship, like constantly uses the internal cameras to focus on uh, the pilot. It never actually gets, it never sort of like explores it more. It just sort of like <coughs> throws it out there as like a story element, but it never feels the urge uh, to sort of explain it or or sort of like develop it more, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like it it's it's done in such a you know such a, a quiet way, right? And and I think the story here uh, really focuses on you know that. Um, the selflessness, I guess it's the it's the nature of the pilot that this um, this ship is uh, this ship this plane, I guess. Yeah. Uh, has that you know while we don't downright say that it you know it's a sentient robot and they automatically just kind of write it off as like oh it's this cursed plane that um, you know just ends up dying <laughs> kind of like just coming back all the time. But you know, murdering everyone on it or something. Um, it's it's kind of like, why is this person different? And you know, as we see the conversations, we realize that you know this person treats the plane like you know a friend, and it's this friendship that they have that kind of carries them forward and makes kind of like both of them very selfless. Uh, you know, just to avoid spoilers and stuff, obviously. Mm you know, the ending really kind of, like, emphasizes on that because, you know, they have this kind of, like, natural protective element, you know, of each of each other. And they, and, um, we don't, you know, we don't really get the, you know, you don't really get that sentient robot feeling until, I guess, probably till, you know, that final, final act. Lucky 13 is a very underrated story in the anthology. Yeah. And it's, it's one I enjoyed. I'm not sure I it's one that I would sort of like feel myself returning to because I think it says everything it needs to do on that initial watch. But at the same time, I thought it was it very sort of stands out in its own 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 merits. And even mm-hmm. though it obviously ties in, ties into this idea of uh, sentient robots, um, or sentient machines, should we say? Obviously, because it is a dropship. Um, it as I say, it was just a very as I say, it was very well thought out for the story, and I just liked. I just like the way it flowed, and I really liked uh, obviously the performance uh, we we got here as well uh, from mm-hmm. uh, Samira Wiley, who's she's proved herself just as a good a voice actress, and I think that it helps as well the fact that they use facial uh, facial facial capturing for her character, so that her character that she is voicing in 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 the in the short is it looks exactly like her, which is. Uh, a nice touch as well, but she's really good as a voice actress as she is an actress, so that was yeah. that was good to see. Yeah, I really wish that we would see her more often, actually. Um, but yeah, moving on to the next one, I guess this one would be more like history. I don't know how you'd categorize this one. Yeah, I mean, this is um, alternative histories, and uh, quite finally, it includes the episode alternative histories, um, where we get to see the outcome of if Hitler had been killed at different points in history. <laughs> yes. Uh, which go into ever more um, <laughs> ever more fantastical visions. Oh man, that was entertaining. <laughs> that, um, was enter- that was entertaining not even, not because it was Hitler, but it was just 
the lengths it went to, like, add on to each alternate. If, you know, he survived this, the first initial one. And if he survived that, what would happen next? And then if he survived that next event, what would happen next? And, and it was just, like, this chain of events that just kind of got, kind of, it was kind of, like, mundane. But yet it was, like, so fulfilling to watch at the same time. Oh, yeah, because the first, I mean, the first three are, are kind of like, oh, you know, that that could have happened. So, like, what happens if he's beaten up outside the Academy of Fine, Fine Arts? Um, what, what happens if he dies there? And the second, the second was like, well, what happens if he gets killed by a runaway wagon? It's like, well, you know, I could see that happen. And then we obviously get to, like, <laughs> yeah. number four, and it's like, what happens if Hitler's killed by a gelatin-encasing weapon developed by Russian aristocrats? And then um, it's like, gets to number four, and it's like, what if Hitler died during an orgy with four Viennese prostitutes? And uh, what happens if Hitler was like died in a meteorite strike which wiped out all life on Earth? Um, and all of them end with who lands on the moon. So when we talk about the meteorite hitting Earth, it's all like rodents take off the Earth and we get to the final moon landing and it's a squid. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's stupid and it perhaps goes on a little longer... Than yeah. it I mean, it's surprising. It's only seven minutes long, but it felt a lot yeah. longer. Um, and and the end, the end, uh, sort of like um, the end, sort of like prospect of a sort of story is sort of like you know, what if Lincoln shot first? Um, that that's the sort of like the prospect of like a second alternate history. It gives us mm-hmm. uh, those, but yeah, I think we've all questioned what would happen if if. Uh, someone went back and killed Hitler, what would happen? I think this really sort of just takes it to a more extreme level. I mean, it... Yeah, and, and it kind of, like, you know, I mean, the point was that, you know, we get to see all these alternate histories, and it also hints at, like, oh, what if our story, like, what if our future had this technology, like, Multiversity, which is the company that they're, or the tech that they're using here, um, that, you know, you could go back and look at what would happen, uh, you know, given that you were able to see six alternate histories for any event given, right? Yeah. And and that's and that's and that's and it makes it really fun to see, you know. Well, maybe the next time we're going to get one and it's going to be like the follow-up of this one, right? <laughs> if we get a season 2. Um obviously these three alternate histories are slightly silly. Um they're slightly silly except for uh I would say uh Secret War is a little bit more serious i guess in that sense yeah secret uh, war i mean that's i mean it's much like again much like sucker punch it ties into the idea of like what happens if the russian army had had um brought forth demons to fight for them but only for them to lose control so you've got this idea of oh, during world war Two, you've got uh, the red army who are fighting against demon forces a secret war that's happening in world war Two, and it um and i mean that's that's a I said it's kind of like a boy's own adventure. It's not really about the horrors of war or anything like that. It's just this real sort of blood and snot adventure style story <laughs> uh, yeah. set, set, in, set in like the codes of Russian winter, uh, which I mean, if you're like a fan of things like the Metro series of games and uh, those sort of like um, alternate Russian uh, sort of histories and that, then you really sort of get a kick out of it. I really... I really liked it. Um, I like yeah. anything that's sort of like alternate Russian history, especially because, you know, a Russian accent just sounds incredible. And to put it in this sort of concept of like 
you know, where they're just sort of like uh, relying on the, the Russian sort of fighting spirit and grit that, you know, despite the fact that we're in these blizzards and we've got all these horrible conditions, we're going to like fight to the last man to um, die this like heroic death to stop this uh, this evil force uh, sort of escaping. So, whereas obviously in like Sucker Punch we had like steampunk Nazis or something like that, um, here we've obviously got demons and it's just pretty much the same concept, but, you know, a lot of fun for 16 minutes. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I think I think it's interesting to see how people like to think of, you know, the fact that our world has always seemed to have these kind of like demonic creatures that lurk. And a lot of movies like to take that idea and it's kind of like, you know, hell is released and that kind of concept, right? Yeah. And I mean, we saw it in Hellboy, um, yeah. especially the idea of the Nazis trying to bring forth the but in jihad to smash the allies uh, only for them to bring forth this uh you know the stone-fisted demon hellboy who obviously goes to work for the allies so mm-hmm. well i i am and i mean i'm gonna move on to the next one because uh you know yeah time wise um but ice age is our next one is the third movie in this category and it's the only one where it has actual humans you know like not animated they're actual humans um and they're actually pretty familiar faces uh we have uh topher grace which i was less excited to see because i'm not a big fan of him oh really um and we have mary elizabeth winstead which i haven't seen since uh 10 cloverfield lane okay uh you also got john dimaggio who's uh, the voice of bender in futurama um Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that maybe just myself then. That. I don't watch Futurama, so I don't know. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Ice Age here. I mean, this is Ice Age takes a very a concept that's been used numerous times before. I mean, it was used in Futurama and it's been used in The Simpsons, where you basically have a a small civilization that appear in an unlikely situation. In this case. You, they find uh, this couple called Gail and Rob. They find an antique refrigerator, and they discover that in the uh, freezer compartment, that this little miniature civilization had been frozen in time, and that when they defrost, they they evolve at this rapid rate. So they go from like medieval and industrial evolution, um, eventually evolving into this futuristic society. And every time that they close and open the fridge door, they've sort of taken this next evolutionary step. Um, ultimately leading to their own sort of destruction as these things often do so well it's a story i've seen many times before i thought it was fun oh yeah it was it was you know like topher grace is good in small doses i think um extended movies not so much but uh no i I had nothing against this one i thought it was it was kind of like weird but (laughs) it, it kind of worked in its own way um it didn't feel like it was anything too special um, but I think it, it had kind of like it's it's little messages in it too, like, you know, um they would close the fridge when there was like war going on. It's kinda <laughs> like people hiding away in a certain way from, you know, destruction of the world. Yeah. That I sort of idea. Hmm. I especially love the bit where they where they um, inevitably develop uh, devolve into thermonuclear warfare and you just see this like explosion that just like leaves Rob with blackface. <laughs> yeah, just, like yeah. caught in the blast of this ex- nuclear explosion that's happening in his freezer so and uh we're now on to sort of like the odd 
odd episodes because there are some episodes here which are just sort of like one shot ideas here and um the first of these would be the witness which is basically a is a reworking of rear window um set in a futuristic society where a where um someone witnesses a, a murder and finds himself being pursued only for the whole story to ultimately come full circle at the end and the whole process to start off again um a little oversexed in places and it went on a little too long but very stylized kind of reminded me of mirror's edge in many ways the way it was shot so mm. yeah no there was like that uh there was there was a swap between like a first person and then a third person um style I, I can see where you're talking about the mirror's edge and top of that you know the girl kind of had that you know exaggerated makeup and that sort of style that really went with that sort of um idea I actually, uh, I know it was a bit oversexed, but I kind of really like this one. This one was one of my, probably one of my, you know, top five. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, I really like the setting. I really liked, um, I really liked, like, the, 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 the cleverness. I always like stories. I kind of have a thing for stories that kind of, like, do the, doing a full circle sort of story. Because mm. I always find when you're able to do a story like that, it kind of gives it this really neat twist. And it kind of gives you this kind of like uh, interesting way of seeing how the story can evolve. And, you know, you don't really know it. it you know, like you know it, but the characters don't. So it's it's interesting to, to see how this story came about. And it was kind of like a fast-paced chase scene. Yeah. So it was. It was really. I, f- I thought it was a lot of fun. Okay. Um, next, we got Help in Hand, which is like an extreme version of Gravity. In many <laughs> ways, it's <laughs> exploring about why space. <coughs> um, basically, explores why space is a horrible, horrible place to work. And uh, possibly, it reminds me in many ways why space is just absolutely scary. Um, as all how as we have a. Astronaut who is um, basically uh, sent attending a faulty satellite in Earth's orbit. Um, however, during the process, her suit is damaged by a stray screw, and um, it basically she's found herself adrift in open space. And the rescue team aren't going to be able to make it to fifty-eight minutes, which at which point she's going to be dead because she only has fourteen minutes. So she has to come up with a way to get back into the ship, which results in a very unique MacGyver-style solution, to say the least, but one that I'm sure if we had someone who knew anything about you know, physics uh, would be able to tell us whether it's accurate or not, whether it would work or not. But certainly for myself watching it, it felt like the fear was sound. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think it was more like this one really worked not in the... I don't know if it, the physics of it would work, but in the sense that it was really like the shock aspect of it. I think it was constantly like doing things to kind of like shock you. And, um, you know, when things get bad, they can get real worse, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like Murphy's Law was definitely with her that day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I mean, obviously just, we just, on our previous episode, we talked about the Europa report where a similar situation presented itself and it's like, clearly here we have the solution all along. (laughs) If only they'd seen Love, Death and Robots, they would have been sorted, so. But no, I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's got some grotesque elements, but, you know, I I liked it. It's No, it it, it works. It's it's, it's very, 
You know, it's a very gripping story. Um, mm. And I think that that's, that's one of those stories that, you know, the more gripping a story is, the more it kind of, like, gets engraved in your mind a little bit more. And it has to do with the grotesque and has to do with all the, like, the little elements to it. And plus, this character was pretty likable. I think she had, like, really, uh, she had an attitude that I personally enjoyed watching. That's great. Um, next up is Fish Night, uh, which I guess we could have put into the horror sort of tropes category. As here we have two salesmen who basically break down in the desert and they discover that this area that used to be once be a sea floor um, at night, the spirits of the marine life that uh, that lived in this in this former ocean uh, back in prehistoric times come back to life and fill the air and create essentially a turn the desert into this ghost ocean which the younger of the two uh, characters discovers he can swim through much to his uh, dismay when it finds out there is something also lurking in these these ghostly waters but um, this is a one that's more about the visuals um, even though oh, it yeah. does have a fun payoff but I, I thought it was kind of charming I thought it was really really fun and um and there, there's just something about it that just really so may work it's not um an overly gory piece it's not a very sort of woven patch piece it's just a very thoughtful and very nicely animated uh you know short, yeah. short story just this just a concept that's just fun to watch yeah it, i think that's that's the right way to put it it's it's really just a concept it's like a slice of concept and there is really like no beginning and not really an ending but you really like it, it has this kind of incompleteness to it, but at the same time, because the visuals are so beautiful and so charming to watch, right from, like, beginning to end, you know, even to the dismay part that you mentioned, all of those were executed so well. And because of that, it's, it's a fun one to watch. Would I go back to watch it? Maybe not. But um, it definitely, you know, shows off some of the qualities of, you know... The, the visuals that, you know, I'm not saying the rest don't have good visuals, but I'm saying that this one is very visual heavy. Mm. Cool. And uh, finally, we have uh, Beyond the Aquila Rift, which, you know, is my bank antic, my number one story, top of the hill, king of the pile. Um, this is the one I absolutely adored um, above all the, the other stories. I thought this one was really fantastic. And basically, we've got this team who are sent on a mission to go be to go beyond the aquila rift and there is a error in the routine plot uh, which causes them to suddenly be thrown like off course and basically the one of the uh, the pilots tom he awakens to find that he's being greeted by uh, this this woman he was involved in called greta and he's trying to make sense of the world around him because while he can't place why she's there he's not sure whether he's doing like this stasis dream or whether the world around him is actually real or not and it very much builds to this final absolutely shocking reveal which like horrified me and just delivered on so many wonderful levels and it it's a uh, one that you know I, when I'm like trying to think of things to compare it to that I the twist is up there with like the likes of Dark City and Event Horizon and you know maybe some more art house fair like Solaris. Um, I would say actually it reminded me of Riddick. Um, okay. 
Yeah. So it was like like you know waking up with a red light alarm going and stuff. But yeah, that was. Um, yeah, no, this one was really strong. I think it had everything. Um, it had a lot of style um, from music. Uh, you know, they used a lot of orchestral music in it. Um, and then, you know, you had, you did have, you know, a bit of the, the sex elements in there. There was, um, a lot of sci-fi elements in there. And then there was this, like, incredible twist as well. And it also had that kind of, like, um, kind of like, you know, the, the circular motion of events going on too. Um, where it was like an endless loop would, would be what I'd call it. Yeah. And that really, and I thought that really, like, it gave it so much style, and it gave it, like, it gave, like, everything in this story was strong. The story, the characters, the music, the visuals, um, everything just fell into place really well. Definitely. Um, I have to say the ending, in particular, I think is probably, like, one of the most nightmarish situations I can imagine myself in. (laughs) I just like that 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 like just the end twist this just destroyed my mind. I was like <laughs> I cannot think of like the more horrific situation to find myself in and and I think it has a lot to sort of like tie into other fears that I have as well but um yeah just uh the the end the end game of this this particular episode it was sort of like in many ways I knew it was coming but when it's like suddenly confirmed it's sort of like oh i feel what this guy's feeling <laughs> and um to to end um the, the it, as you said it ends so it, it comes back around and we start start the process again um but knowing the truth behind the situation is sort of like it just it makes it even worse and yeah. you you don't you just have said it, it just leaves it open ended like so many of these stories do it's sort of like yeah. what's the ultimate fate that's going to befall these characters but oh it's just a wonderful wonderful piece and uh yeah well it's probably not the one i think if like someone said oh you know what would you say to start with i, I wouldn't like perhaps not say to start with this one um <laughs> yeah maybe could i've done as you said it is pretty oversexed in places um not that ever but i mean you. it is it is like episode two or something right so it's not exactly like you know they started fun and cheery with three robots, and then we hop right into this one afterwards. This so it's is not the thing. exactly like it gives you a lot of breathing space. I didn't realize this until after, but it seems that Netflix changes the order the episodes are shown depending on your viewing. Okay. Uh, so certain episodes will appear in a different order, whereas mine started with. Um, oh, it started with um, Sonny's Edge, um, where people put themselves into you know the bodies of of killer beasts um yeah well, we haven't went... talked we'll talk that's the last one that we haven't talked about so we can yeah, talk about that now and they went into um, uh free robots so i so this one fell like somewhere around the middle for myself so cool. huh. interesting so yeah if this one was the the first on your list then kim what have you been watching <laughs> uh no mine was uh mine was uh three robots okay Oh yeah, but that's weird, eh? Because on the thing, it's supposed to be Sunny's Edge is the first one, but mine is uh, mine. It comes out in I don't know unless my unless my Netflix decided to freak out because everything <laughs> else seems to be in order. Right? Wait, I... Oh no, no. See, see, the order here is different. Like I was, I'm looking on um, the, the 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 list here. Yeah. Huh? 
Weird. Okay. I'm going to have to look into that. So, I think it's <laughs> Go like... Go to the husband's account and see if he has the same thing. <laughs> it's like, what have you been watching? <laughs> this is in the wrong order. <laughs> um... But yeah, according to Wikipedia, the uh, networks revealed it was experimenting with a new approach, including a different order of episodes to different users. In response to um, an accusation, the episode order was based on the streaming company's perception of his user's sexual orientation. Netflix responded via Twitter. There were four unique episode orders released to users at random. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, so. I don't know what I'm watching. Okay, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> moving on. We have one final one, and that's Sunny Jazz. We were talking about that just now. Um, I I personally, actually, Sunny's Edge is one of my favorite ones. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it is. Uh, I like, I like, I think I liked it for, like, that ending bit. And I don't yeah. know why I like all these, like, really sexed up stuff. <laughs> it's it's, it's really fine with weird. me. Huh? <laughs> it it was made me really paranoid though because when I'm watching when I'm when I'm watching this and as I say it's like ultra violent and and like as I say it's over sex and I'm like God I've just recommended that Kim watch this what the hell is she gonna think <laughs> it's like because it, you know when you see like animated things it's all right to watch like sex and violence in with live actors and stuff but when you watch it with a cartoon it sort of in many ways it sort of takes on a very deviant edge which I think we're now we're growing past um, as we obviously use animation become the lines between uh, of what animation can be are becoming all the more blurred so um when you have something like love love like this property that um it, it's not so much of an issue and i don't i don't think anyone's really raised an issue about it about the sex and the violence in in this i think violence people are more willing to accept but um sex is something that normally these people feel a bit uh unsure of themselves but surprisingly it's never been brought up in anyone i've first sort of spoken to but yeah sonny's edge combines many of these different things here it's sort of taps into the same vibe as uh arena where you've got mm. you know people battling with beasts i guess it's like pokemon the extreme version oh, it kind of it, it has that it has that pokemon feeling but <laughs> kind of like a pacific rim, rim feeling also mm, definitely. where you know you kind of tap into you know the brain and then you kind of like sync with a creature and i think that that's where it's like you know and then they go into an arena and they fight and i think there's there's so much elements here about like the underground and um you know the rich versus you know you know just that idea and then we obviously have sunny's story of how you know she's kind of like she's kind of like if not the only woman woman that fights she's one of the few women that fight in these things yeah yeah um so it's it yeah I was just about to say, I mean, this is obviously set in dystopian London. So happy, yeah. the fact that we don't fall on the two traditional English accents of um, either <laughs> either um, Cockney Chimney Sweep or Posh Londoner. We finally have mm-hmm. someone who sounds like an English person on here and, and have like a proper accent. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, as I say, it was surprising the fact that it's set in dystopian London of all places. But, you know, the concept's really cool. Yeah, no, this one, I think, I think you know, Sunny's Edge I don't want to talk too much about. Mostly because a lot of its greatness comes with its surprise. Oh, yeah. And and um, I think that this one applies even more than all the other stories. Mm, definitely. There's some wonderful creature design in this one as well. Which Yeah, exactly. I, I think if we get second season, I would love to see more creature, uh, more creatures. I mean, obviously we... Had some wonderful robots and cyborgs and uh, things like that, but 
you know, it'd be Pull nice. Del Toro to see. into the mix. Creatures are unlimited. <laughs> yeah, it was just like <laughs> just like bringing Del Toro. So like, hey, Del Toro, do you want to? <laughs> how about you like give us some uh, some monsters? Because we know he, lo- you know, he's just probably got something in his sketchbook that he's not be able to make a practical effect yet. So, <laughs> but um. Yeah, so, well, this has gone on for quite a while. So, I think, uh, do we have anything, final thoughts on uh, Love, Death, and Robots? Only final thoughts, really, is just, you know, go check it out. And if you like this, go watch uh, Heavy Metal, and uh, which is 1981 animated anthology of stories, um, featuring John Candy um, doing some voice work there. And it's, as I said, that, again, it's like this. It's a wonderful mixture of fantasy and sci-fi stories and uh the other one i would obviously recommend as well would be animatrix even though it's obviously got that strong link to the matrix it's as with this property it explores some really fun and interesting ideas and there's a great range of animated styles in in there as well but um i think as we've gone through we sort of like recommended things that link to the stories themselves but i just really i just really want them to announce season two that's all i want right now it's like that's what all the gold at the end of the Netflix rainbow is currently is just lessening on season two. Because if this is a one shot, I would be so yeah. crushed. And especially yeah. after all the hype this has got just through word of mouth, it's just come out of nowhere to be this uh, this underdog story of the year. Well, you know, there's still time usually. Like at this point, they're still rallying up how many people, like the more people who are watching it in like the first X amount of months or time frame. Usually gets them into, you know, whether they're going to green light a second season if that's in the works. And that, yeah. I think, totally depends on, you know, the producers that are on the project. But, um, you know, I, I don't really know what else to recommend. Um, I mean, I, I dropped a ton of, like, movies and stuff that relates to a lot of the stories. But I think that if you were going to look for something, uh, because there's a lot of animation here, it actually reminded me of um, a graphic novel that I read, which is also an anthology series. Uh, it's called Wayward Sisters, an anthology of monstrous women. It's an indie graphic novel by uh, T.O. Comics, which is Toronto Comics. Um, and uh, yeah, I found that at the, the Toronto Comic-Con one year and, and whatnot. And uh, these, these stories are just very similar, but in terms it actually changes it into kind of like different... Um, just, you know, monstrous women. So they change kind of, like, the stories that are in there and, like, takes little mythology bits and whatnot and adds kind of, like, these surprise endings to it. And incredible amount of creativity in there, too. So if you're into graphic novel, I would say to definitely check that out. Fantastic. Um, Well, this brings us to the end of another exciting edition of Movies and Tea. Thank you, as always, for listening. And uh, if you want to uh, listen to our archive, you can do via listening to us on Anchor or Podomatic or Spotify. And if you see anywhere where good podcasts can be found, you can also uh, find our full archive over on our blog, which is moviesandteapodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, as well as on there, we've got uh, reviews and uh, other fun bits, including our Friday Film Club, where each Friday we, both myself and Kim, pick a movie, we put it together into a double feature for the weekend sometimes there's a theme sometimes it's just really random movies that we want to smash together to see what happens um and we also encourage you as always to let us know your weekend movie watching plans so we can share it as part of our roundup uh as always you can follow us on both facebook and twitter and instagram uh we post uh as i said regular 
stories and things which obviously tie into our season's director. But um, Kim, I mean, obviously, when we come back, it's going to be season three, which is really yeah. exciting. And uh, do you want to announce now who we're going to be looking at for season three? Yeah, uh, we will be looking at um, Sofia Coppola. And uh, starting off with a, actually, we're starting off with a heavy hitter. So it's going to be kind of like a double feature, I guess. Mm. Um, and, uh, well, you'll see the, the, our list pretty much get updated uh, with our banner soon <laughs> on our Facebook and Twitter. So, yeah. So I'm excited to obviously uh, to get into it. Is it as I say, it's going to be a change of pace because obviously we've had two seasons of monsters and zombies and action and, <laughs> and fantastical violence and now we're going into social satire and and indie indie comic uh comedy and alternate history so mm. it's gonna be an interesting comparison especially for a legacy player like sophia coppola i mean her family uh family she comes from a family of filmmakers and just her family legacy is up there with like the houston's or um for just like what the imagine the like she's like the third generation of filmmaker in her family so it's going to be uh, really interesting to dive into her work and start identifying some of the themes that exist within within her worlds. But we uh, obviously hope you uh, come back and join us for season three. And uh, thank you, obviously, to everyone who's been uh, joining us for the first two seasons and these After Hours episodes. We really appreciate your support. And uh, please do, you know, hit the like and subscribe buttons and leave us a review as it really helps raise the profile of the show and helps more people discuss for us. And, you know, Recommend us to your friends. Spam your enemies. It uh, it all helps us uh, as they raise the profile of the show and uh, you know allows us to expand our message out there to the masses. So, but thank you as always to Kim, and uh, we will be back next time, kicking off season three with Lick the Star and the Virgin Suicides. Good night.